Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. This is episode 101 on April 27th, 2021. I'm Gavin. How's it going, Pickham. Gavin? Yeah, doing pretty good, Brad. How about yourself? You you feel so far away. Hello over there. Can you and, uh, can you hear me on your side of the studio? We have to get the social distancing in place. Apparently, we've been uh, violating that for the last year. So well, yeah. So this this giant <laughs> screen hanging between us is the perfect social distancing size. Apparently, to keep us safe. <laughs> yep, exactly. So first up, let's thank our sponsors, uh, Autos Solutions. Without them, we wouldn't be able to make this podcast. Uh, so obviously, Autos is the maker of almost every box out there. Cold box, command box, forge box, test box. Um, a few ways you can say thank you to Autos is like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. And that way you'll get subscription updates when we go live if you want to watch along and uh, chat in the, the chat room with us and give us a little feedback. And then also, you can sign up for a free or paid account on CFCast which is releasing new content every week. And then we also have another way. Uh, we have a new book, which we'll tell you a little bit more about soon. The 102 Cold Box HMVC Quick Tips and Tricks on Gumroad. And uh, yeah, with that, we actually have a way for you to get a few free tips. So we'll tell you about that shortly. And also we have all of our wonderful, lovely Patreon supporters, don't we, Brad? We do mean lovely. You guys are just the best. You're smart and you're you're handsome or beautiful as it may be. Just <laughs> real stand-up men and women. Yep. And uh, if you want to find out more about our Patreon offerings, you can go to patreon.com slash autosolutions. And right now, there are 36 patrons providing 83% of this podcast. So uh, once we get to 100%, then we can start you know, putting the, the Patreon funding towards other great projects. That you know what we support. need in the background of our, of our studio here, our live actual physical studio that we're totally in, wink, wink, is like the big thermometer you know, that shows like the, the Patreon support. And we can, it can go up every week. We can throw that. that out there. Yeah, maybe we will. I'm the idea guy. Somebody else can implement it. I just come up with the ideas. For sure. So, <laughs> but yeah, so thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. And we'll tell you more about them at the end of the show and obviously order solutions. Okay, let's get up to the news. So the most important thing, of course, is us. So uh, we made it to 100 episodes last week. So uh, we had four people in, on as hosts last week. We had a couple extra little things. But one of the things we did was we had a little raffle for those who answered five orders trivia questions complete. Uh, and so uh, we had basically the whole week open, and we just picked uh, the five winners for those packages, and they're each going to get a Box Life swag package. So um, hold on. We got Will saying something here. The challenge will become his Patreon as soon as someone can pronounce his last name properly. Okay. De Bruin, right? <laughs> Will de Bruin. Maybe. I'll, I'll let Brad try that one. Okay. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, we had quite a few people into the, the raffle. And those watching had a head start over those listening. But that's okay. You all had time to fill it in. Oh, apparently we're still wrong, Brad. We it says No. Sorry, we don't have any experts on Dutch names here. Yeah, we're all clueless. Sorry, we try. And so the five winners are. You want to list them off, Brad? Yeah, uh, David Bellinger, Scott Steinbach, 
Ville de Bruin, or however you pronounce it, <laughs> Matthew Clemente, and Matthew Brown. So the Matthews have the clear lead on the rest of the names. Yep. For so, sure. Yep. So you should be able to get uh, get an email, I believe, with a notification, and they'll, they'll get your details to be able to get that sent out to you. So congratulations, everybody. Thanks, everyone, for participating and tuning into our 100th episode via YouTube or via your uh, podcast player. Uh, a bit of news about that too. If you're listening to your podcast on Apple Podcasts, Apple decided to shake up the world and change everything and break a lot oh. of stuff. So they're being <clears throat> revolutionary, Gavin. Yep. So apparently, there's it's messing everyone's uh, i feed uh, their feed up because they're changing from a normal RSS feed to this Apple subscription thing. But even that's broken. So if you're listening <laughs> on Apple, uh. Let us know if they don't show up there, and we'll try and figure out what to do, because right now everyone's a little confused. So we're working on it, but... Isn't that like Apple to snub the the global standard for something and create their own proprietary format that doesn't quite work? Yep, pretty much. (laughs) And then they'll force everybody to use it, just because they can. Because their phone probably wants their... I'm sure they'll probably update the podcast player on, on their iPhone to just not use anybody else's subscription service. I mean, it pretty much does that already, I believe. But anyway, so if you don't see us there, uh, let us know. Well, the best way to watch the podcast is live, where you can be a part of the jokes in the comment section. Just going to throw that out there. Yeah, we have, we have fun in the chat. And they keep us on point, too, most of the time. <laughs> or distract us from one or the other. <laughs> yep. So I hear, uh, according to your show notes here, that the Adobe Cold Fusion certification price drops. Yeah, I saw, so this, on, got? saw this on Twitter. Yeah, it went down to one forty nine. The introductory offer of four ninety nine went away, and now they're down to one forty nine. So I don't know if that's just uh, wow. because they've uh, got more videos and they're trying to just gather the reach, especially with twenty twenty one coming out. Maybe they wanted to, you know, or maybe nobody that. signed up, and that was like a please for goodness sake sign up. <laughs> Possibly, I know that the four ninety nine price was what they actually did at CF Summit in person. So maybe they realized with the online, you know, they can actually streamline things a little bit more. It's a little more efficient, so they don't have to charge the same amount. But regardless, yeah, I mean, I I could see that. I mean, the in person trainings is still like a ton of people in the room, but at least you're in person and, and you can ask live questions and stuff. So it, it kind of makes a little bit of sense, I guess. The online exams is something they have less, you know, physical cost. Um, and, but still, I mean, the, the takeaway is that's good news for anyone considering, uh, taking the certification. Yeah. I mean, and it definitely has a lot of, uh, good content. They have 50 plus videos online, you know, um, basically professionals who have a basic to advanced level proficiency in any language can understand how it works. So they're saying that even if you want to get up and started with ColdFusion and you're not using it already, these videos should help you get there. So, you know, not a bad course, uh, price go through the process they've got the tests and and everything but yeah for 150 i mean pretty competitive so if you were thinking about it but you just couldn't quite make yourself you know take that plunge now it's a little cheaper a little easier so 150 150 yep okay i know eric is very happy but he's not here to talk about it um but his pull request for the Postgres driver repo update has been successfully merged. Well, that's so. pretty cool because that's like the actual uh, official, you know, PostgreSQL JDBC driver. And he can now claim that he's got his own code merged into that, that project. Um, yeah. So now he's a Java developer. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, he, he found a, a bug with how it was uh, dealing um, dealing with some of the crazy, like, returning identities or something or other. Um, yep. And, yeah, they, they merged it in without really giving them much hassle. Uh, Charlie asked him a chat, do we have a link to share? Are you asking about the link for Eric's pull request, or are you asking about the link to that Adobe certification? I think he's talking about the certification, so I just posted it. Okay. Yeah. Um, now Eric gave us a bit of a rundown a couple of weeks ago now on the pull request. Um, yeah. And uh, Charlie's asked about something about the shared news of the price drop. I saw it on Twitter. I think Mark actually uh, posted something about a great price. Um, I just know that I went back and looked at the old prices in December and they were definitely $4.99 like I remember. So um, I did. I know I saw the price. I can't remember the tweet exactly, Charlie. Okay. So yeah, so Eric got that merged in, of course. Um that means once a new driver is built, you could update to use that one. Um, but who knows when Lucy and Adobe oh. will update their drivers to use it. Yeah, so. that's that's the problem with these real downstream projects is you know, Eric has to wait for the PostgreSQL driver to come out with a new version of their JDBC driver, then he has to wait for Lucy to, you know, update their extension. And then, you know, who knows how long it'll take before Lucy starts including that Postgres driver you know by default it's always the problem when you you fix something in the downstream project is sometimes it can be you know a year before it's you know widely available but hopefully it's not as long yep and at least that way if we have someone using postgres we can always point them to that driver specifically if needed yeah so. i mean that is actually a good point if somebody uh you could ask eric for the details this fix i think specifically when you're trying to return ids or something it had to do with yeah. with running like an update and a select in the same in the same you know query yeah. or something. Basically, anyway, if you it, want the results, it was always expecting ID keys to come back. But if you're doing an update, there yeah. are no ID keys. Mm. But if if this was a particular bug biting you, you could probably go grab like a snapshot build of the PostgreSQL JDBC driver, put it in your class path, and just add it manually as like an other JDBC driver in in. Uh, in either, you know, Lucy or Adobe Confusion, you'll, you'd be able to use it right away. It's not as nice as just using, you know, the baked in driver for the CF engine, but that is a, a nice thing about the way that uh, CFML engine to use those JDBC drivers. For sure. Yep. Okay. All right. So got an Adobe webinar coming up, building modern web apps with content box modular CMS with Luis Mahano. Yep. Who is this guy? Yeah, exactly. I just saw that pop up on the, the news feed. So uh, I know that he actually did a presentation um, just recently on the content box modular CMS for the Audis webinar. And so now he's doing one for the Adobe um, Adobe webinars as well. So uh, you get an overview of the CMS platform, how to leverage not only the content-based applications, but also many uh, modern web applications with the powerless headless API and cold box services. So you can register for that and I'll share the link here in the chat. Um, That's to to May 5th. May 5th at 12 at p.m. 12 Eastern. p.m. Eastern. Yeah. So that's going to be what? 11 um, our time. 11 a.m. Central and 9 a.m. Pacific. Pacific. Yep. So and the fifth is just a little over a week away. It's weird because I'm like, that's May, right? That's next month. That's like a week. <laughs> yeah. Next week. <laughs> which also means that school is very close to being out, which is just. 
Maybe. I know a lot of our schools here started late, even for the online oh, stuff. Really? So they're well, going to go halfway into June or late June. We um, just had snow like literally last week. And so it doesn't even feel like, you know, we're this close to quote unquote summer. It's yeah. been a messed up year. For sure. But uh, All right, yeah. I'll mark that down. That's in a week and a day for Luis. Yep, May 5th. And if you're looking to perhaps migrate from like a hypothetical situation where maybe you use something like Mira and you don't like their current new licensing, <laughs> this could be for you. Yep. And uh, if you want to just see how we're, we're building that, like I said, we're building some nice new pieces into that. So, And with that, actually, there is a new CBORM update coming out. And that's actually to help support that. Uh, and so we'll have a little more information on that. But if you're using CBRM, it has a couple of nice new little features that Luis has pushed out there just to, to get that out the door. So we'll let you know more about that as well. I'm sure there'll be a blog post coming up soon. Okay. After that, we have the Adobe webinar series. So separate from the webinar that Luis is giving, they've got this ongoing API creation and management series. And I don't know if Brian Seppi is doing all of them, but definitely a lot of them. Um, so he's, uh, he's working on that. And so you can find out some more information at the link I'm about to post here, but there's seven different webinars and the first two happened, uh, March 24th and March 25th. The next two are, uh, April 28th and 29th. So this week so we have two tomorrow. different ones. Yep. Tomorrow and the next day. The day after tomorrow. Isn't that, a, not that like Armageddon movie or something? <laughs> the day after tomorrow. Yeah. So the next two days. And then uh, there's three in May. May 12th, 13th, and 24th. And the recordings are available. And I'm going to share that in the chat as well. But if you want to get the previous ones. Uh, if you register... Um, you'll get updates and emails because it's quite a few of them, but it looks like a great series starting from just, you know, basically publishing APIs, uh, how to build RESTful APIs with and without the API manager. So looking at securing, publishing, monitoring, all of that. And apparently very easy, hands-on examples. And then, you know, some good discussion about that too. Awesome. So there's another online CF meetup happening, which appears that, Charlie is actually giving. He's giving his own online CF meetup. That's so meta. So this one is installing Cold Fusion 2021 choices, challenges, and solutions. So knowing Charlie, I have a feeling he'll probably cover every possible conceivable choice, challenge, and solution. So that's pretty cool. I'm just scanning the topic description here to make sure he's covering command box. Oh, oh I don't know. I don't see it in there. Oh, we'll have to see. Actually, it looks like the topic description is just a very high-level overview. So Yeah, I think he's just going through all the different options. I know the couple people are posting about not being able to get, you know, um, the files directly for downloads and install of our YAM, etc. covering command box. Yeah, but he's actually trying to install the install the server sort of old-school style. So, but that old will be... Old-school. That's so 2020, Gavin. <laughs> yeah. Still a lot of people using it, Brad. So that's Thursday, April 29th at 11 a.m. Central Time. So that's just two days from now, right? Yep. Am I reading my calendar correctly? That is yep. Thursday. So that doesn't that doesn't conflict with the uh, API thing we were just talking about, does it? What time uh, is it? Those ones you have to register to find the actual time for, the, for those. <laughs> so servers. no one knows when the Adobe webinar series actually happens? 
Well, there were so many dates, I didn't put the times next to all of them, so I'm not sure exactly. Well, so Charlie's is this Thursday at 11 a.m. Central, but we don't know what time the webinar series is. I'm assuming Charlie probably didn't overlap it. I'm just curious if people wanted to catch both of them. Yeah, they are are sharing Um, the recordings with the Adobe webinar series, and with that, the the good thing is is they are made available because they're building on top of it. Oh, you found it? Um, yeah, the one on April 29th is 12 p.m. Eastern, so which is going to be no, 11 a.m. Central. So same time. Going to be 11 Central. So it looks like this actually does overlap at the same time. So if you're wanting to catch both of these, you will need to uh, watch one of them live and the recording of the other one afterwards, or set up two screens and just listen to them simultaneously <laughs> be like dueling banjos with charlie and brian yeah but they both will be recorded so uh i'm sure I'm sure you'll pick the right one and watch the other one with the recording okay uh, just for those who didn't know about luis's webinar last week about building modern web apps and content box um that was recorded and up on cfcast so we'll share that one here for you so if you watch that recording, does that mean you can skip Luis's? I know he's version? always adding a little more to it. He's still working on the content box um, beta. I think it's out in beta now, and he's still working on getting some additional features out, like the CBRM update he pushed out as well to you know just adding more headless API features. So I'm sure there'll be a little more, but if you want to get a, a taste for it, that video is available on CFCast right now. And so and he presented that last week, April 23rd. Okay, we also have a, a little more of an update on that book from Luis. So it's been on, on Gumroad for a while. You've probably heard us talking about it. But we actually have the marketing page up on the Autis website too under Learn Books. So we have 102 tips oh. and tricks from Luis. So it's got the pretty cover on it, nice design. It's got a, you know, a little uh, testimonial here from Patrick. Um, and if you sign up using your email, you get on our mail, uh, mailing list, but you also get 10 free tips. So if you're not sure if you want to buy it or not, uh, I recommend you go put your email in there and it'll keep you up to date when we're releasing other books or doing training, etc. Um, but you can get those 10, 10 free tips right there. So I give you a little taste test and here are some tips that uh, are included. Um, some environment variables in the config, fluent if statements using wins, command box um call box commands structural query strings there's a whole bunch of them here you can go through you can see all 103 tips and what they're all about 103 so, what 102 sorry there you go brad is doing a new book on 103 command box commands. wow we actually literally have all of them there if you just click clicking the next button yep so you can look through them but all wait, and check it out there's more yep so you can obviously order follow get some news but so that is available i'm going to share that link with the show notes uh with the chat as well but yeah so if you want a little more information you're not sold on the book completely yet um go ahead and check that page out and maybe get those 10 free tips all for the price of your email address which if you don't (laughs) like our emails obviously you can unsubscribe as well so pretty good there okay looks like we have some new cf cast content here Yep. So this week, uh, we just actually released that uh, video that Luis had, the content modular CMS um, 
webinar so that was the the update for this week and i know we have more command box zero to hero videos coming out soon we got some more uh what's new with cold box six coming and they're working on up and running with quick logbox 101 and using docbox so we got a lot of content in the works right now that's about to be released um but this last week check out that uh luis mahano audits webinar so if I log into CFCast, do we have a screen in here that shows me like the newest stuff like yep. sorted by date? Yep. So if you click on browse at the very top. Okay. I usually use the search, not so the browse. I'll show you guys for those watching. So if you click okay, on so it browse looks like it's sorted here. automatically then. Published one day ago. Yep. Published so eight see, days ago. Nice. You see which ones are free and which ones that you need a subscription for. Uh, you can also change the languages here too. So if you turn on the other language, you can see the English and Spanish. So there'll be some other content that you wouldn't normally see. So if I go back to just Spanish, you'll see when they were released. So there's quite a few videos released a month ago okay. and a few months ago. So if you have an account, but it's been uh, maybe a couple months since you've logged in last, and you want to see what specifically is new, you just click on that browse and you can see everything that's been added uh, since last time you visited. Yep, exactly. Okay, so next up, let's talk about conferences and training. So in case you missed it, Redis Conf was last week, April 20th to 21st. Uh, the hackathon goes on to May 20th, and that's when you actually have those videos available to watch on demand. So basically, uh, you have one month from when the conference happened. You can check out all the videos on um you know, all the pros and cons of Redis, including all their, their different products. So they've got Redis search and a whole bunch of things. Uh, the AI looks pretty interesting too. So a lot of cool things to check out there. We also have Atlassian Teams coming up. So this is April 28th and 30th, so later this week. Um, and so basically it's about building better teammates, having tools to make your, your team work better, especially in a remote world. And that used to be called Summit, um, but now it's called Atlassian Teams. So that's available and I'll share the link for that. Anyone who wants to sign up for that. Again, it's a free conference made by Atlassian, the, the makers of Jira and some other products like that. And then next up, um, AWS in May, right, Brad? Yeah, May 12th and 13th is the online and free AWS Summit Online America's edition. Yep. So uh, they they have a lot of great uh, tracks there. So anything from beginner to uh, um, basically ninja level, they have all the different uh, the levels there. And as I always say, I really like the the hands-on workshops and labs they do. But also, you know, the stories. You know, the basically people tell you about their problems and how they solve them and and what solutions help them. And I think that can give you a really good idea of you know how that might be useful for you in your business. They've so, got a uh, an agenda at a glance PDF. If you uh, click on their page under agenda, um, it looks like they have the following tracks: AI slash ML, so um, artificial intelligence, machine learning. Uh, as one path, they have another uh, track of analytics, database, and blockchain. Um, another path on EC2 compute, end user computing. Another one for industry and public sectors. Kind of cool. Uh, security networking and global infrastructure is another track. They have, I'm not, what's MAD? MAD Open Source and Robotics. I don't know what MAD stands for. Hmm. Uh, then one for media solutions, marketplace management, government, uh, one for storage and migrations, 
this looks fun. Uh, IOT, uh, business intelligence, customer engagement, and then sessions in Francois. So they have French sessions. I didn't realize that. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. So quite a lot, of, quite a lot of interesting things here. So definitely check that out. If you uh, want to find a little bit more about it, uh, it's a great conference. I really enjoyed it. The times I've attended. So, Oh, MAD stands for make and destroy robotics. Oh, really? That means Interesting. I'm just guessing. I, I Googled mad robotics and I found make and destroy. So hmm. I don't know if that's what they mean. Maybe. But it sounds interesting. Sounds cool. Destroy, man. Yep. Well, next up, we have another conference here. So Percona Live Online is going to be the same time, May 12th to 13th. Uh, and for anyone who hasn't heard of Bacona, they make some really great uh, database tools, basically. Um, I've used some of their tools in the past. I know you've talked about them as well, Brad, for uh, all sorts of things, really. I mean, they have pretty much all the high-end tools for anything you can do with a database. So, um, But this event is... Um, so that starts the day that AWS Summit Online ends, May 12th. Yeah. No, no, it's, it overlaps the same days as AWS. Sorry, 12th and 13th for both of them. Yep. And so if you want to, oh, you can even watch the 2020 sessions as well. So, um, but yeah, they've got some great products. Um, definitely recommend checking them out. I like their stuff for their their backups, migrations, things like that, keeping databases in sync. They kind of make it easy to do a lot of the, the tricky things, setting up replication, et cetera. So um, pretty neat. So DockerCon is coming still uh, end of May. So it's actually a month from today, May 27th. Um, Free one-day virtual event. Yep. The only thing I don't like is that it's got uh cube everywhere <laughs> it's got what uh cube kubernetes stuff everywhere oh but their agenda is up here as well so you can see some of the different uh things and last year they had this um interview section so they basically just had interviews the whole time with different um, people which was kind of neat um, but they had all these different categories again so you can look at live panels uh track c b a d so you can look through um, optimizing Docker builds, for example. Um, do not ignore Docker ignore. So there's a lot of stuff in here. Um, and again, I only see one session with the word swarm in its name. <laughs> um, Give a swarm. Give a swarm. Yeah. But uh, DockerCon is definitely a great conference. A lot of great speakers there, lots of experience in the industry. So uh, it's nice to see some of the bigger providers, you know, having people sit there as well. So should be able to find some big names and uh, I guarantee you all those uh, sessions are amazing. So, okay. We also have some Audis, um workshops coming up soon. We're getting those dates out as well. And then a call for speakers should be anytime now. I know they're almost finished with the, the call for speaker form. Um, so we should have that open. I think the plan is to have the call for speakers open in May and start making choices about it in, uh, in June. For into the box. For into the box in September. So we'll be changing up the format a little bit to make it a little more friendly, uh, have some more time zones friendly for European viewers as well. Since unfortunately that, you know, we can't travel and, and spend time together at this point. So 
we'll be looking at doing that in September online. Um, but things are opening up pretty fast, so who knows? And the ITB and the TAM, um, they may actually have that in person, but worst case, we'll have it online in December. And for those who want more conferences, you can't get enough. Comps.tech has a lot of great conferences listed there, and you pick by your language. Okay. Blogs, tweets, and videos. Yep. What do we have? So David Byers has been running this little Cold Fusion 101 series, and he actually did a, a webinar a little while back on it. But So he's uh, got two more in his uh, series here. So he's got Tag Scripts and Functions Part 2 on Scripts and Part 3 on Functions. So both of those are now available up on the Cold Fusion Adobe portal. And... Yes has a preamble you know it's going to be long when you click on it and you see a preamble pretty formal <laughs> actually it's actually it's not that awful long no nope, but uh yeah so the assumptions functions and so it links out but i like it. it's just nice simple examples here and again this is made for basically beginners so if you got someone new on your team or you've got someone who's uh, starting to code maybe they've got another position like qa or uh, you know design that they're trying to get in the series would be perfect for them or even managers that want to understand a little better um, but real basics you know function attributes and that type of thing so um he links out to a few good links as well but again this is uh number two or number three in that series getting started so thanks david for sharing that and uh, share that with anybody you think should uh, check those out okay we have a new blog post here and this blog post is relevant because april 20th was the last day that certain um the jvms were going to support the older tls update so basically they updated on that date so any versions past that will no longer support those uh those JVM by default, types. right? Yeah, by default. You can and is, isn't this the so. same thing that we covered last week that Pete Freitag had? Uh, well, um, he was saying that from April 21st on, that would happen. But these are just updates released. So I think this just happened to coincide with that timeline. Basically, they're, they knew they are going to release these versions. And then after that, the next version um, will have that TLS uh, disabled by default for those versions. So... Again, uh, Java 11 and Java 8, the long-term support um, updates were released last week. Uh, and then if you want to learn more about them, should you update, you know, uh, Charlie's got a really good detailed blog post, as usual. Um, but yeah, so this is basically the updates, how to obtain them, uh, why you may want to use them or not. And so Charlie's got lots of great information on that. Um, you know, if you use command box, it'll just automatically download the latest Java version as soon as it comes out yep that's actually how i know when open jdk is is made or adopt open jdk is made a release i start a command box server one morning and it was like oh download a new version of java sweet and then i just go on with my day yep course, so, that's, for, that's for that's for development i wouldn't do that on production that could be a little dicey yeah <laughs> so java 8 and java 11 updates the blog posts uh give you a little more information about how to find it actually pretty certain those are on adopt Allow me to run the Java search command from my command box CLI. All right. J uh, JDK 11 update 11 is the latest version that's on adopt, which is what Charlie mentioned. And then if I search for open JDK 8, it's 292. That's interesting. 
I'm just looking at Charlie's blog is talking about 291, but the latest version on from the adopt open JDK API is actually 292 release hmm. date, 21st of April. Oh, that must oh. be the one the day after that'll probably have the new TLS stuff that uh, Pete mentioned in his blog last week. That's possible. I, yep. I, I've actually been curious. I've noticed that the, the updates for the Java eight always seem to be like a two, like a, you know, like 292 or what are the other versions they have? Um, I don't know. It seems like they have a certain like pattern they follow and I've never quite been sure what it is, but I've noticed um, that they tend to have like a certain uh, pattern they follow when they name them. Hmm. See, what is it? Release. Okay. I ran the command box command Java surge version equals open JDK eight release equals empty string. So they have 292 to 82. Actually, 275 doesn't really follow. 272, 265, 262, 252, 242. Yeah, I don't know what it is, but they always seem to like end with a two. I don't know what that means inside, even 212, 202, 192. I'm really curious what they're like, what the reasoning is. I wonder if the five is the patch where they have to do and there's a couple that will end in five. And I'm guessing that has some particular meaning, but I, I've never actually known that. I've always just seen the version numbers and thought to myself, they follow some sort of pattern there. Yep. And Maybe so Charlie be the, was the topic uh, of some future Charlie blog post. Yep. And Charlie was mentioning that these were specifically Oracle JVM in his blog post, which uh, that's what Adobe CF officially supports. Um, so OpenJDK that you just mentioned is, is a little different. Not uh, much. I mean, the open JDK source code is, is very similar to the Oracle and they pretty much match the version numbers. So yeah, it makes sense. But yeah, I mean, just for Adobe support reasons, right? Exactly. If you want Adobe to support it, then you want to use the Oracle JDK. Um, but yep. there's, there's very few differences. Um, if you're not looking for Adobe support. Yep. Okay. Moving on to the next blog post. We have one from the computer know-how guys, and this one's a interesting one. Um, because it's titled why I asked dumb questions. So this one was kind of interesting. Uh, Abram over there is a QA tester. And so, um, you know, he helps basically test out code that the team writes. And so first he used to do it where he basically would try and understand the code and then test it. But what he's trying to do now is decided that asking dumb questions and trying to make the code do dumb things is actually a good way to test it because he doesn't make any assumptions. He basically just tries to test it. And then using the test, he figures out what the code does. And then he goes and checks, is that what it's supposed to do? And so Isn't that called you know, fuzzing. Uh, maybe. I mean, basically I thought, I thought like, like when you fill out a form and you put text in the age field just to see if it'll blow up, that's called fuzzing. Yeah, well, that's the thing. I mean, normally you, you figure out what it should do and then you kind of test around it. But what he's saying is he has no idea what the code does. He just tries to test it. And then based on that, you know, then he will learn what the code actually supports. And then from there, he figures out, okay, should it? <laughs> you know, because obviously you can put stuff in the wrong field um, and go from there. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting, you know, just sort of like trying to figure out, you know, different ways to test things and, you know, maybe trying to learn what something does before you test it may not be the best way to do it. You know, maybe 
um, you know, testing like your end user would, like they have no idea how your system works and they'll find out ways to break it like no other because they don't know how it's supposed to work. So they don't work within your mindset. And usually as the one who created the code, you know what it should do. So you don't test it the same as someone else from a fresh perspective. So thought that was uh, just. Yeah, I understand what he's person. saying. I think it's sort of weird to test something without knowing what it does. Um, I don't know. I would think you would want to test from the user stories specifically, but sure, you should you should not follow the happy path always when you test. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's kind of weird to say like you don't read the documentation before you test. I mean, I think you'd still would want to do that. To me, I would phrase it differently. I would say test the happy path, as Luis calls it, and then test the non-happy path, which is you type random crap in the date field and see if it blows up kind of thing. Yeah. But I don't know. In, unless they're trying to get like more like a hallway testing thing that's like random user. Does this user interface just make sense to you or is it confusing? In which case, I suppose not having you know knowledge of the, of the application could be handy there. Yeah. And obviously, it depends on the type of testing he's doing too. But yeah, I just like the... A different approach you know um and that's why tdd is kind of nice when you actually have your set of rules you write your test to, to test those rules actually work and then you write your code and make sure that they they pass everything that definitely definitely makes your coding smoother okay next up we have uh benadel he's been working with um doing some streaming csv some comma separated values this week but this one was interesting he was experimenting with lazy queries. Have you even even heard of lazy queries, Brad? I had not. Um, I've heard the word lazy used in reference to queries. I haven't looked at this blog post to know what specific thing he's doing. Is he talking about the... Okay, yeah, he's talking lazy about the CF true. query. Yeah, I'm familiar with lazy queries. It's one of those features that was added quite a while ago and probably mentioned in like a hidden gems talk by Gert, but never made it in the, into any actual documentation. So pretty much nobody knows it exists. Yeah, so um, I, I thought it was kind of interesting because so if you put lazy equals true on the CF query tag, basically what it does is, you know, just basically only goes and gets the records when you ask for them. So you can't use stuff like record count to see how many records there are because it didn't actually do the query. Yeah. Um, and so basically as you loop through it, it'll go get those additional records. So um, it was kind of interesting. I mean, it's a nice feature. I mean, the irony is like, if you were to write an application in Java, like this would be your default method by which you ever interacted with a query. You know, you would you would run a query, you'd get back some object and you would just start like iterating over it and processing records. You know, in Cold Fusion, we're used to everything being so synchronous. You know, we get, we pull back the entire result from, set from the database, we stick it in memory and then we're like, okay, now I will do something with this result set. Which, you know, for the typical Cold Fusion page is fine, right? You pull back like five results and you want to loop over them, who cares? Um, but yeah, if you wanted to do like an, you know, an export for like a million database rows, you wouldn't want to read 1 million database rows into memory and there might not be enough RAM for it. So this is, this is a pretty cool feature in that you say, you know, as I loop over them, stream the data, you know, back from the database. Um, I yep. think it's a pretty cool feature. Um, like I said, I, I don't remember when Lucy added this or even if it was back in the, the Ryla days. Oh, there is actually a documentation page for lazy queries. I wonder how long the stock's. Pages yeah. And so he obviously tests it. it, has a nice little graph here about using normal queries versus lazy queries. I mean, he was doing 50,000 records, you know, per, per each one. And, you know, he was saying maybe it wasn't enough data. And so it was just an interesting feature, but I thought the comment was really good. Mm. Zach obviously chimed in, said you don't have to use query close. It's not required. It'll close it itself. 
Um, but he said the, the best use case or a good use case for this would be if you're using blobs or clobs in your database and you don't want to read them all into memory until you get to that record and you actually need it, you know, so that's where, um, it might be useful where you're storing, you know, binary objects essentially inside your database. So it looks like the doc page for lazy queries has actually been around since 2018. I said earlier, it had probably never been documented, but it, I, I'm, I'm pretty certain the feature's older than that. Um, but at least the docs have been around for a while. Cause I was actually curious how Ben even knew about it. Cause I've, I think I've only heard about it in one of like Gert's hidden gems talks or something, but yeah, well, I, have, I, I, I like never it. Heard I think it's it. pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you just, you do have to change your coding a little bit to handle it. Like you said, record count doesn't exist. And, um, you know, there is additional ongoing, um, calls back to the database. So obviously you need to figure out when's a good use case for it. Um, but yeah, so I thought it was pretty cool. And then obviously streaming the data back to the browser too. So that's, that's pretty neat as well. So he's done that before creating zip files. So you can check that out. And so if you're creating a CSV and you've got millions and millions of records, streaming it back to the browser, that would be perfect. So. Um, now I've talked to Luis about it way back in Luis did CB stream. So I don't know if we actually played with it. Because one of the things I've talked to Luis about was I want to have a stream which is based on a lazy query, which again is only a Lucy feature. Adobe Confusion doesn't doesn't do this. Um, I don't know what it would take, but that would be kind of cool to be able to use CB streams and of course process the data as it comes back. Um, hmm. I'm sure you can. Should Luis about that and see what what it would actually take to have a provider for a stream that that pulled you know records from a query as you process them. Anyway. Oh, yeah. I know you can have a stream based on the query now, I believe, but you just have to have the entire query in memory. So it's not incredibly streamish. Yeah. At least not from a, a optimization perspective. Sounds good. Okay. So next up we have uh, a blog post from Keyshore about continuous integration, continuous delivery in cold fusion 2021. So this is a good one uh, talking about the, you know, DevOps talking about pipelines and how they can provide many strategic advantages for your organization. Um, and so he talks about the Docker image a little bit more. Um, but basically, long story short, Brian Sappy created a white paper. So this will basically, ex you know, explain how and why, uh, you know, you should set up your CI CD pipeline with Adobe CF 2021. So uh, a lot more information there. So you can download the white paper. Um, but really it's definitely a, a big plus um your life is so much easier once you get the continuous integration sort of piece working um and yeah so i think this is a, a real nice thing to have and brian's created the white paper i haven't had a chance to read the white paper yet but uh, i'm kind of curious what they've done with adobe cf 2021 to to make it even more uh you know special because i know that their docker stuff is a big improvement their package management everything is a big improvement too. their the size and everything so i'm curious how how that will be so if you're looking at possibly doing ci cd uh, definitely check out this out or use command box oh <laughs> charlie said if you hadn't noticed it's 78 pages so it's more than just a, a simple white paper so uh, i guess we'll have a look here how long it'll take to pull up I have it loaded, but yeah, it's got a lot of screenshots, which I think pads the, the pages. It appears to be more of like a, a how-to guide almost, like how to create pipelines and stuff. 
Yeah, so it talks about continuous integration and testing, performance monitoring, you got, you know, source control, REST services, so installation steps, configuration. A lot of screenshots in here. Yeah. So that's good. So more than just a white paper. Thanks for that, Charlie. So very cool. Okay, next up we have a blog post from Adam Cameron, and he's talking about code reviews. And so this one here I thought was kind of interesting um, because, you know, code reviews, obviously people think they're important, um, but one of the biggest things that he brings it up here is that, you know, what is a code review? And most people think of it as a second set of eyes, etc. But I like what he says, what well, it's not. You know, basically we're not you know, just basically telling somebody they did it wrong or they could do it better or it's not an ego battle. Um, and I think that's a, you know, a good thing. And here, like Ryan Holiday has a, a quote saying, an amateur is defensive. The professional finds learning and even occasionally being shown up to be enjoyable. They like being challenged and humbled, engage in education as an ongoing and endless process. And it's all about how, how it's sort of approached, you know, like if someone gives you a, a correction in your code, cause maybe you should do something different or maybe you should think about something and maybe you've done it the way that we should do it, but maybe you just got to consider some other factors. But if you get defensive right away, you know, instead of just taking it as a way to learn, to improve, then, you know, it can sort of ruin the process. So, but you know, he's spouted out pretty, pretty detailed. He's a lead tech now and he's been doing this for quite a while and, you know, it's got a whole lot of guidelines as well. So if you guys are doing code reviews or maybe you, you haven't done them yet, this would be good to read. Obviously, everyone's got different opinions that may not be perfect for you guys. Um, but he's getting some really good points in here. So I thought it would There's be... a lot of value in doing um, in-person or team code reviews, which obviously, like, we can't do that at Ordis because they all work remote. Um, but, you know, sitting down with a team and just going through code and just talking about, you know, this differs from our formatting, you know, guidelines, or this is no utility that would have made this a little bit better. Um, those can be definitely good, I think, learning experiences for the team. And I think you can talk about, you know, some more minor stuff that might seem, you know, pedantic or nitpicky, you know, to comment every single place where the white space was wrong. But if, you know, sitting down in front of a projector as a team and you're kind of just scrolling through, you can point out stuff like that as well. But um, at least I've, I've enjoyed doing that, um, you know, being a part of, of team code reviews before yeah and it makes a good point too is that you know it's not your code or my code it's our code we're a team you know Unless we usually breaks, get together in which case it's your code <laughs> well that's the thing is i mean like a lot of times it's it's set up to be you know you've decided as a team you know through stories and tickets how something should be done and then you know so as long as you take it as a team and you're trying to make the team better, you know, it can be a positive experience. And I mean, I really enjoy it, you know, uh, working with Otis, I get a lot of great devs around me and, you know, I think I get pushed and I learn, um, and you know, they keep me on task and, you know, and vice versa. I'm sure I do the same to them because I didn't pick it everybody else too. It's like, you know, like just simple things like reuse of code or if, well, if I can't understand it, then, you know, maybe we need to comment it more or change it or, you know, maybe we can abstract it a little bit better, you know? So yeah, definitely some pros and cons, uh, with code reviews, but I think it's a definitely a good thing and it keeps everyone up to speed too. If you know, if you work in your own little silos on different parts of the app, if, you know, someone else needs to get in and they have no idea what's going on because they haven't seen the code in three years, uh, that can be a, a negative too. 
So, but anyway, so yeah, it's a good blog it, post. The other thing I think from a more system perspective is useful when you have new developers is you can use code reviews as a chance to talk more about like the, the application and how it's architected as a system. Because, you know, when I've worked at companies that had a large, you know, application that did a lot of stuff, you know, learning cold fusion or knowing where you put your spaces wasn't always the problem. It was, well, this approach isn't necessarily consistent in our framework for this reason because of how these modules fit together. Um, and those are also things you, that can, you know, be teachable moments in uh, in group code reviews, I think, as well, which is just understanding the, the overall system that the code's inside of. Yep. It's just another tool in your tool belt. So, okay. All right, we got more Ben the Dell. Yep. So we have another one here about the power and simplicity of CSVs. Now I saw this come across Twitter, but I didn't click on it. Oh my gosh! Um, there's a Brad. Read it. What you have me? Yep. Picture of Brad from 2013. Oh yeah. Wow. That's, uh, from CF Objective or Dev Objective. Yep. Oh, CF 2013. Wow. Yeah. Yep. First, that's the first time I met Ben. I think we just randomly had the same shirt on. Yeah. We were like, hey. <laughs> Too funny. Okay. So. Okay. It looks like he's doing precisely what I expected he was when I'd seen this come across Twitter. Um, you know, I I agree. Um, it's, it is kind of funny. I mean, CSV is really incredibly lightweight and easy to generate. Um, I've actually converted... Um, several export features for client apps uh, that were using, you know, CF spreadsheet or some sort of, you know, proprietary, you know, XML based office format um, to just plain old CSV because sometimes they would have really big exports like, you know, 20,000 records or something. And not only would it take a long time to generate in the server, they would generate these very large files. It would slow the server down. It would consume a lot of memory. Um, and, you know, with the right headers, the right HTTP headers and the right formatting, you can get a file that even Microsoft Excel will open natively, just like it would, uh, you know, an actual quote unquote Excel file. But, you know, they generate generate in a fraction of the time and they're significantly smaller um, yep. files. So it's definitely, I think, underrated um, what you can get away with doing. And he has a basic function like I've written several times that, you know, just wraps um, you know, an individual value and quotes and escapes any quotes inside of it. It's, it's not that complicated just to generate a CSV and it can really be significantly faster and yeah. lightweight than actual Excel file generation. Yeah. I love I it. I mean, look at it. Nice, simple. Yeah. It's, he's using some nice maps and, you know, to list and simple little functions here. And don't get overwhelmed by the number of quotes. <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> Again, this is a perfect thing to put in a little library somewhere. You've probably written it yourself, you know, several times, but it's really neat. I mean, and it, it just dumps out the data, you know, and yeah, the quotes and everything, it'll work. Um, but yeah, I use them over and over again and you're right. It's so fast to output them and you just, they open up and, and look the way they should. It's pretty neat. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I like I'm read this post number four, serve up that sweet, sweet CSV data. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it also has like some, uh, you know, learnings too about him early in his career and how he's changed. Um, you know, some people like having all the raw data as he says, having raw data for their clients sometimes is their happy place. Other people want to just see what's relevant to them. So, but anyway, I'm a, I'm uh, a data person. Of course, yeah. input is, is high on my, uh, 
my strength finders. That's in my top five. So that means I like the data. Yep. So here's another one we have from uh, Matthew Clemente. And this was interesting. I think you chimed in on Twitter about this, about reading. Well, it's funny because I swear file. this topic comes up like once a year, but a different person like discovers it each time. <laughs> um, I've posted about it. Ego's posted about it. Zach's posted about it. Matthew Clemente just posted about it. Um, yeah, you know, uh, if you want to read a file in Confusion, it's like super simple, right? File read, no problem. But, you know, sometimes sometimes you have a file that's like eight gigs or maybe not that big. There's some giant log file. You know, you just want to be able to read a part of it. And, you know, ColdFusion doesn't really give you a lot built in. You can do file read line, um, which is pretty sweet. That allows you to kind of stream a file one line at a time. And I've even uh, tweeted about that. Um, the uh, the tail command and command box has a sort of a similar implementation, which is close to what Zach had suggested on Twitter, where if you tail a super big file in command box, we use some, you know, Java classes um, that you, uh, you know, could just read the last 15 lines of the file as opposed to having to, you know, load the entire file in the memory. Um, you know, it's good to have these little kind of tricks up your sleeve. Um, if you want to be able to, you know, work with really large files and not have your, your server be running out of heap space. Yeah. So yeah, so it was a, a nice little update he did here to this. He's got a gist, you can see it, whatever. But interesting part about it, and he actually mentioned the podcast in a tweet was where should we share code snippets for Cold Fusion these days? You know? Um basically, um obviously we have lots of little um, you know, tags and libraries and for the longest time cflib.org was the place you put things. And you can still get them from there. And I think someone took over. I think Ray handed the mantle over to someone else. And so let's see if I remember so. removing the CF lib um, endpoint from command box. I thought, or is it still in there? Yeah. So it's been a few years since it was updated. I think someone took over. I don't remember who, but I think it just right. provided access to all the existing ones, but. Because I know it was shutting down at one point, but I think someone took it over because the data was available to take over. Okay, maybe I just removed the the reaforge. Um, let's see, does the download URL still work? Apparently, there's a repo for it. Um, the CFLib repo, all the functions, the repo, markdown files. Um, Scott said, and so anyway so also uh michael Bourne, who works for Audis now uh, created this site called cf snippets over a year ago i think he was doing a blog series and he was showing it off but uh, apparently matthew said the site is now down um, but he still has the reap up on github so i know he was you know playing with that i think he was using um elastic search and was trying to get everything running you know and yeah so i'll have to check in with michael and see where he's at on that but also, of course, we have ForgeBox, and I think you mentioned on there too, like, you know, if we think it's something that can get a lot of value for people, then we'll put even simple functions up on ForgeBox, but usually it's sort of a library of things. So what do you think, Brad? I mean, do you yeah, think we so need something else, or do you think ForgeBox can handle it? Should we try and get CF snippets up and running again for Michael, or? ManBox has a CFLib endpoint where you can say, you know, install CFLib colon and then the name of a CFLib UDF like file info or something, um, which basically hits the download URL from CFLib directly and then just writes the UDF to a file. And there's even a cold box variation of the endpoint that'll wrap it up as a module. It'll put it inside of a CFC and wrap it up inside of a module. Oh, cool. um, 
However, I haven't tested the CF lib endpoint command box in probably years, and I'm trying to check the download URL, and I don't think it still works on CF lib. I'm curious if at some point CF lib was converted over to like a static site or something and it all was. this. So I think the, yeah, the, the endpoint and command box probably quit working at the point in time that CF lib was converted over to a static site and all the download URLs weren't possible. I think you'd probably have to manually do it. I mean, there's sort of like, you know, two scenarios, right? There's more like the stack overflow version where it's like, I wish I had a way to X, Y, Z, and you go Google it and you find a chunk of code and you just copy and paste it and you slam it into a file um, and you use it. And that's kind of fine as long as it's on the internet somewhere and you can just copy and paste it. Um, you know, command box sharing things on Forgebox obviously trended towards the sort of more automated um, method, which was, you know, this is a, a helper library that does X, Y, Z, and it's still actively being maintained by its author. And I want to be able to update and check for new versions and install them, you know, and I don't want to just mix it in with my source code. I want it to be installed in a managed location, um, you know, where it can be uh, more of a third-party library, um, which is, I think, the spot that the Forgebox fills much better. And of course, you have a couple conventions you have to follow. It needs to be a package. You need to have a box.json. You have to actually publish it. But I mean, that just takes a couple seconds to do. The, you know, the question is, you know, is it worth putting every single random little function that anybody's ever came up with on Forgebox? I mean, and yeah. I, don't, I don't know the answer. I mean, the NPM uh, world has, has obviously done that because someone in the Twitter thread kind of made a reference to LeftPad. Yeah, um, broke you know, everybody's which, stuff. <laughs> well, yeah, LeftPad became infamous when the, the publisher like unpublished it or something. And, and, you know, thousands of builds all over the NPM, you know, universe all quit working. Um, but yeah, the LeftPad function was some just insanely simple like string manipulation, just a few lines of code. But, you know, it was its own package out there on, you know, npmjs.org that you could include and you could use. I mean, as Cold Fusion developers and for using Forgebox and Commandbox, we have that ability. Uh, well, we have the ability to install it and manage it. Uh, it needs to actually be a, a box module in the context of a Coldbox app to truly have the equivalent ability that NPM has, where it actually goes into some sort of convention folder where you can load it up via Wirebox. But um, that aside, you know, I don't know if every random, you know, five line UDF belongs on Forgebox, but if people want to add it, I really don't care. I mean, Forgebox allows for unlimited, you know, public packages with free accounts. So if people want to add little one-offs, you know, I'm not going to stop them. Um, and you, know, you don't have to add box modules to Forgebox. You can just choose the package or the, the project type rather, and it can just be a CFM file. I mean, that, that can be an entire package on Forgebox. It's a CFM file, the box.json, and then people could just, you know, CF included in their applications. Um, so I don't want to really tell people not to do it from a, you know, a management standpoint. Um, I think a lot of people are more likely just to copy and paste a UDF, you know, off the internet. That's just kind of a little quick and dirty fix for something. Yeah. But then again, if something like that happens and that like Matthew made some improvements to it, it'd be kind of nice to know there's a new version out there that made a change or a fix or something. So, yeah, yeah, it's, if it's going to morph and change over time, then I think it really benefits, first of all, being in source control, you know, in GitHub or something where people can send pull requests and it can have a singular location and then being managed by an actual package manager like Commandbox that can say, hey, there's a new version of this. Would you like to install it? 
Um, which is why I probably trend more towards using ForgeBox for anything. But, you know, I've written little quick and dirty, you know, UDFs that I'm like, eh, somebody else might want this, but I don't know that it's worth me creating a package out of it. Um, yeah. Sometimes it boils down to how much free time I have probably, but yeah, definitely but like an interesting conversation. The more times you use, you're like, okay, I should just make this a module because I'm using it multiple places now. Well, yeah, I mean, that's like what I did with that thing. Fusion. Yeah, that Fusion Reactor API SDK the, the Frappuccino SDK. Um, it was like, you know, but after I'd copied and pasted that into like at least four or five projects, I was like, okay, wait a minute. I should have, I should have broken this out in its own repo by now. Like, cause I've got like five versions of a thing and that's just not right. Yeah. Um, and I don't know where the breaking point is. Maybe it's just, you know, when it becomes a pain point that you're like, wow, this sucks. I have four copies of this. I should, you know, combine them. But anyway. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so I'll check in with Michael Bourne and see what he thinks about that. And I mean, we can look at the CFLib thing as well. But yeah, I think if it has any substance, I mean, I think ForgeBox is, you know, a good thing. Um, and then uh, uh, Scott Steinbeck just mentioned um, in the chat here that you can put stuff in a gist. Um, it is worth mentioning that you can install gist directly from command box, just like you can um, NPM. You can do box install gist colon and then I, I don't know if it's the ID of the gist enough it's in the docs um I rarely ever use it but uh it's it's supported by command box so I mean that is a way we can at least have it in like somewhat pseudo source control if you will um and be able to install it but that's still not like a full-on package there's no version associated there's no outdated version um it's kind of halfway there you know yeah cool anyway yeah interesting discussion so I uh, don't know if that answered anything, Matthew, or not, but I guess we'll go. <laughs> yep. Scott's giving you a whole bunch of tips for your book there, Brad. Just everything you talked mm. about today. We're up to 85 already, apparently. I'm just going to take my my command box, 103 tips. It's just going to be random pages from the docs. I'm just going to write a, a random number generator. just pulls a page out of the docs. It's like, boom, tip 87. Boom, tip 93. It'll be easy. Okay, next up. So what do we have from Frytag? URL safe, base64 encoding slash decoding in CFML. That's yeah. a mouthful. Yeah, so he was talking about, you know, obviously you can do standard base64 encoded strings, you know, so you got the base64 function to binary to string or the binary to code function. But um, if you need to pass that encoded value in a URL, maybe much easier just to deal with some of the Java classes. And so here it gives you a little bit of, uh, you know, some little tips and how to do it. It looks like a mouthful there. If you copy paste it, it'll, it'll save yours. What happens if you pass binary into the, like the encode for URL functions, which use the ASAPI uh, stuff behind the scenes. I've only used them for plain text. I'm kind of curious what they would even do. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, cause would they like just puke. So, I mean, he gets a Java object, gets a URL encoder, then without padding, then encode the string, and then t telling the type of bytes. So it's kind of a headache. But uh, I'm trying to decide if this is a code smell, like, hey, you're passing stuff in the URL that probably doesn't belong in the URL. <laughs> Why are you passing binary objects in the URL in the first place? You're probably going to hit some limit of, like, how long a URL is even allowed to be. Yeah, it might just be the type of code. I mean, I'm, I've worked with stuff like LDAP systems that their keys are binary, you know, that's just the way they, they store them. Base64 yeah. binary codes, etc. But, I mean, I guess if I was going to a user profile and using their primary key, which is an LDAP binary code, I would need it. But yeah, so anyway, it's a nice little uh, tip if you're dealing with that. 
Again, you can always drop down to Java and always find a oh. function there somewhere. What does his Java version do that two base 64 binary and two string don't do? It doesn't URL encode it safely. Well, wouldn't URL encoding be a second concern? Wouldn't you turn it into base 64 first and then URL encode it? Well, I don't know. We'll see. What is he doing? He's. I mean, his URL safe base 64 decoder. I mean, so basically, he uses base 64 and it has to get URL encoder. So I know, what it is, seems like it's more code. I mean, I would think you would you would wrap it into base sixty four, and you would wrap that with encode for URL, and you'd be done. I think it's the string you're passing in is a binary already, so he's just getting the UTF bytes, encoding it, and then without padding, and then yeah, I think yeah, I just don't quite see what he's doing and how it's different from using to base sixty four and encode for URL, which are first class functions of cfml i don't know i guess you could do a test and see if they are put the same stuff or if there's some some slight difference in the, the encoding i doubt it's the same i only say that because the sappy stuff tends to go nuts so on the type of characters it escapes but oh, okay built-in functions are quite family uh, are quite handy but if you want to pass the encoder value in url or simply want a nicer looking encoding maybe that's what he's talking about Chris, you could oh. also use the uh, URL encoded format, which is the pre-ASAPI function that doesn't uh, escape nearly as many things. I think that only escapes like, you know, uh, like percent signs and equal signs and ampersands or something. Um, gotcha. Okay. Interesting. Oh, well, I guess it's never a bad thing to have options. Yep. Even though I'm not sure, I'm entirely sure why I would use it at this point. Well, I guess when it comes up, you can figure it out. Maybe he, if he's listening, maybe he can update his little post to show this is what it would look like if you use the CFML functions. This is how much code it is. This is the output, and this is the equivalent in mine. You know, yeah. in his in his suggestion, so we can yeah. actually kind of see what the difference is between them. Maybe it's not much better URL or something. That's what it sounds like. So, good idea, Brad. Pete, get on it. You're not busy enough already. Yep. So we have one more from Benny Dow. So this is expected and unexpected get base tag data behavior in Lucy. And I saw this one came out last week. Um, and so he was talking about, um, <clears throat> excuse me, that basically, you know, we have ancestors of tags. And if you get the get base tag list, you can figure out the name of the ColdFusion custom tag that you need to access. Um, but basically we're just saying how depending on the type of tag you were using and the way the tag was invoked, sometimes this get base tag data doesn't give you the, the right information. Interesting. So, so from CF docs, base tag, get base tag data. I don't even know if I'm familiar with this Biff. Uh, used within a custom tag finds calling or ancestor tag by name and accesses this data. And so it takes a tag name attribute and then an optional level attribute. I don't think I've ever used this. Yeah. A lot of people keep away from custom tags. I mean, there's definitely some use cases for them, and Ben's found some good ones lately. Um, I'm just trying to figure out. So there's the example on CF docs as tag data equals get base tag data, CF underscore mapper. And then it does tag data dot this tag dot execution mode not equal to inactive. Interesting. So if you had a custom tag inside of a custom tag and you wanted to base your inner custom tag based on a parameter passed to the outer custom tag, I don't like this at all. 
this as far as design pattern, I mean, it feels like you're you're breaking encapsulation. If my nested tag needed to know what the execution mode of the adder tag was, I would say the adder tag should have passed it in. Like, yeah. this just feels weird. I mean, imagine the same thing with functions. Like, you know, if the function calls another function or a UDF, there's no way from an inner UDF to like reach out, you know, three functions higher and say what were your arguments. Um, and you wouldn't want to. That, that would be sort of like terrible from a coding standpoint. It'd be like, well, if the inner function needs to know it, it should have been passed in via the argument scope. This whole, I mean, and I'm, this isn't reflecting on Ben's post. Just I mean, this is obviously a feature that Cold Fusion just provides that apparently I didn't really realize existed. But I'm just thinking, I don't think I would ever use this. Like the, the concept of an inner custom tag, like reaching out of its context and, you know, extracting information from its parent tag that wasn't explicitly passed in. Yeah. And the big takeaway here huh. is that Adobe does it the way you expect it to. And Lucy doesn't um, check for base tag data unless the invocation expression starts with CF underscore. So that's Oh, uh, So when you use CF module, it doesn't count? Doesn't seem to, no. So that's just, Makes that's the big takeaway from there. Whether you like the way it works or not, if you're using it, that's sort of the key. Well, you know, um, yeah, yeah, I, I get it. Even though I don't like it. I mean, heck, it should work as it's advertised on the tin, as Adam Cameron says. Uh, so I was looking in here to see if he filed the ticket. And it looks like he did. He put in LDEV 3359. Um, I, I had missed this blog post and this ticket somehow six days ago. What was I doing six days ago? I wasn't paying any attention. Calling base tag list inside CF module execution. Well, it's been triaged. It's in the backlog. Looks like Pothys has confirmed the behavior. And uh, okay. there we go. Cool, cool. So that wraps up our blogs, tweets, and videos of the week. Next up, we got find a job. And for that, we'll look at getcfmljobs.com. We see there's been six released in the last week. So we got a senior software engineer in West Palm Beach. We got a Cold Fusion software developer in Sherwood Park. And that's Alberta, Canada. Uh, we have a freelance position for mid-level developer in remote United States. What position? Uh, a, rem a freelance position. Oh, freelance. I heard yeah. pre-launch. I'm like, they're launching? <laughs> Sorry. Freelance isn't nearly as interesting. <laughs> yeah. So a couple in India as well. we got a senior software developer. And we've got a, just a Cold Fusion developer. These look like they might be the same posts, actually. Sometimes the site scrapes uh, different sites and brings them in. Yeah, also the a... HR department puts it in several places on the internet. Yep. I actually, uh, I saw someone posting some job postings in the jobs channel and CFML Slack. That's and then the same place. job posting in the Facebook Cold Fusion user group as well. Yeah, and those are two other great spots to look for a job if you are looking. The CFML Slack has a jobs channel, and then the mm -hmm. Facebook has quite a few uh, Cold Fusion groups. I think one big one and a couple of smaller ones. So uh, if you're looking yeah. for jobs, there's six here from the last week. But yeah, there's, those are definitely good places to look too. Okay. So next up on our list, we have our Forgebox module of the week. Module so, of the week. It's already up to version 2.4? What? How yeah. is this possible? Yep, so the module of the week is uh, actually uh, JMES Path by Did Scott Did we talk Steinberg. about this last week in the podcast? Uh, we, we've mentioned before that he's been working on this uh, this cool little tool that was going to be going into Command Box 5.3 when you Wait, release the it. First, the first version released was 2.4. It came out as 2.4. It's like being born as a teenager. How is this possible, Scott? What happened to your 1.0 version? 
Yeah. But uh, so this is basically an implementation of JMES path for ColdFusion. So Scott did a lot of good work uh, basically converting over the API from the JavaScript version, right? I know there was a couple of different yeah, versions. Yeah, he, the, he took a JavaScript implementation and ported it to ColdFusion. So I had never heard of JMES path uh, before Scott and I were working on this, but I had heard of JQ. And chances are you may have heard of the JQ binary on Linux, um, but you've never heard of JMES path. So JQ is a, a binary you see in builds a lot where you can point it at a JSON file and then you can run sort of like queries. Think of XPath for XML, right? Where you say search for nodes with this name, blah, 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 with these attributes. Think of that, but for JSON instead. And so JQ is kind of the popular binary that a lot of people use to read stuff out of JSON files. What I never knew was the name of the like standard um, is called JMES path. That's what JQ implements. And there's a bunch of implementations in different programming languages like JavaScript, Python, you know, you, you name it, right? Um, but there wasn't one for ColdFusion. And Scott and I have been talking, wouldn't it be sweet to be able to do the stuff that JQ does, but from inside of command box. And so Scott, Scott spun off this JMES path project as a standalone um, ColdFusion based implementation of the JMES path, which is what JQ uses. And then the next version of command box, which I'm actually writing the release notes for right now, um, will uh, has Scott's JMS path module bundled inside of it. And we've already plugged it into several commands inside of command box. There's a new JQ command, which behaves uh, almost identically to the, the JQ binary in Linux. And then there's JQ functionality that Scott's built into the package show and the config show and the server show commands. It's actually really sweet. I'm excited about it because I, I only knew of like maybe 2% of what JMES path spec provided for, you know, because all I'd ever seen JQ used for was just read a top level key out of a struct or out of an object in the JSON file, uh, which, you know, you can do that, but that's like so simple. It supports a crap ton of stuff. You, you can filter, you can loop, you can map and reduce. There's functions built in. It's actually really sweet. Um, you can, you know, you can consume an entire JSON document you know, spin it around, reformat it and spit out like a brand new JSON document all in a single um, query or filter or whatever you call it. So yeah, this, uh, neat. The, yeah, this module is pretty sweet. And Scott just used the original like unit test suite from the JavaScript implementation that he borrowed. So he knew that his, his cold fusion implementation still had all the exact same, you know, to spec behaviors of the original one. And then he, he sprinkled in a bunch of kind of additions to it based on um, how we thought it would work nicely. But um, we've got a new page coming in the uh, in the command box docs as well that covers some of the usages. Um, and yep. I think it's going to be one of the one of the super cool features of command box 5.3 is this thing. But since Scott put it on Forgebox as just a standalone module, if you, you there sitting at home, want to have this kind of functionality um, in any random ColdFusion app, you could just drop this in as a dependency and use it inside of a web app. Um, and one of the things that Scott's and I have talked about is when you, along the graph uh, APIs or GraphQL um, kind of concept is what if you had an API that returned JSON and you could give the server, uh, you know, a, a, a query filter or something, you know, a JMS path spec string that said, give me back the list of users, but massage it in this particular format. And that all happened server side and you got the result back from the API request. There's all sorts of, yeah, really interesting that's, ideas. That's a really neat idea. I was excited when you guys mentioned that. Yeah. So our, our first use case of this was plugging it into command box. And I think it's worth worked splendidly so far from what I've seen. 
Um, either that or just nobody's testing the command box bleeding edge <laughs> intent. Um, but I, I'm really super excited to see what we can do dropping this library into just, you know, cold box APIs or, you know, anything like that. Yep, for sure. I mean, it'll take some work to get used to because there is a lot of cool functionality in it. But uh, Scott also mentioned in the chat, the reason it's 2.4 is it's matching the other library, the original library. So that way, you know, this is up to 2.4. So this this release is so packed full of features and functionality as a baby. Yes, it's, it's, it's like Winamp. So Winamp five, so sweet they skipped the number. Or was it Winamp four? Whatever it was, it's like that. We, yep. we skipped all those other numbers because it's so sweet. Exactly. So very cool. Okay. Next up, we have our VS Code hints, tips, and tricks of the week. So this one here is a pretty simple one. A lot of these are, but they're still very useful. And so this is the highlight matching tag. And you've probably got something similar to this you've used or seen, but I liked how obvious this one was when you're clicking on uh, your code. It highlights it in the in the right-hand menu really quickly and easily. Where's the matching tag? Uh, sometimes you got some pretty crazy nested tags. And it's like, it's like the gutter. Or, yeah. Yeah. If, you, if you're not watching the video version of a podcast, like in the right-hand gutter of the page, it highlights for you the start and stop of it yeah that's nice uh, yeah real simple uh, there are a lot of options for it and everything but i mean it works with um, tags but also some javascript functions too braces and everything um, so and it'll work with different libraries and languages but again that one is called highlight matching tag and again uh, it's almost got a million downloads or whatever but pretty useful little little feature little extension uh, all those make your life a little easier Okay, last last but not least, we have our Patreon supporters. So um, again, we have uh, 36 wonderful Patreon supporters right now, and they're um, contributing over 83% of this podcast funding. I should ask Luis for a, a bump in funding. Um, <laughs> but we have uh, Cobox, Command Box, Forge Box, Test Box, all these other boxes are supported by Audis and these Patreon supporters. And so it all helps. Um, if they're a bronze package um, holder or higher, they also now get a free Forgebox Pro account and a CFCast subscription as a perk for their Patreon subscription. And if you're not a bronze packager up, you still do get a, a special little badge on our community website for orders, and you also have your own private um, forum access on the community site as well. So uh, those are a couple little perks for any of our Patreon supporters there. So... Oh, I think it's time to read all these beautiful names. Is it your turn, Brad? Why not? We made Luis do it last week, so I don't remember who did it before that. Okay, go for it. All right, so thanks to our Patreon supporters, Don Bellamy, Eric Hoffman, David Bellinger, Gary Knight, and Carlo Gomez, Jonathan Perret, Mario Rodriguez, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media, John Wilson from Synaptrix, Yogesh Mathur, Joseph Lamry, Ben Liddell, Brett DeLion, Carl Von Stetten, Shirley Earhart, Dan Card, Daniel Garcia, Didi Lesnicki, Edgardo Cabezas, Jan Yannick, Jason Diger, Jeff McLean, Jeremy Adams, Jonas Erickson, Jordan Clark, Kai Koenig, but wait, there's more. Laxma, last name starts with a T. Leon, Sarah, mm, Sarah Mellis, I think I'm right on that one. Matthew Darby, Matthew Clemente, Mingo Hagen, Patrick Flynn, Ross Phillips, almost there, Scott Steinbeck, Stephanie Monge, and Stephen Klotz. Yep. Thank you all. You guys are great. We really appreciate it. And if you want to see their pretty faces, you can go to autosolutions.com slash about dash us slash sponsors. And that brings us to the end of another week. 
thank you everybody don't forget about all those webinars going on this week and coming up very soon uh, check out the show notes for all the links and we'll see you all next week bye bye show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like spotify or itunes we also have the link to youtube to find more videos just like this the music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.